Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Uh, so today we're going to talk about this phrase, only God can judge you. Only God can judge you. And I got to be honest, I love this one because I do not like the feeling of being judged. Uh, if you do, that's weird. Um, I, I wonder, though, if you have had an experience of feeling judged, right? If you have had that sinking feeling that someone has already made a decision about who they think you are or what they think you think or what they think you're like, and they haven't really fully, they don't know you, right? They don't have all the information. They don't even know the whole situation, but you feel like they've already fully made a decision. Anybody been there before? It is sickening. We hate it. It's the worst. And, and yet, like, we've all had this experience. And I think for a lot of people, one of the reasons why this phrase is so interesting to me is that I think when you ask a lot of people, uh, maybe who aren't involved in a church, of just like what they think of when they think of Christians, sometimes this is what they think of, right? If you were to do like a word association game with people that, uh, you know, you work with or your kids play sports with, and you're like, what, what, do you, what do you, you don't go to church. What do you think of when you think of Christian? A lot of them are probably going to be like, uh, judgy. And some of you are just like, ooh, I was going to say that, but I didn't know if you were going to say that. And I got to be honest, Christians are judgy. You know why? Because everybody's judgy. It's part of the human condition. In fact, I would say that the sort of this, this tendency to want to judge things and people around us is not a, a Christian issue. It's a, it's a human issue. It's just the way in which we are. It, we, we do it impulsively and oftentimes unintentionally. Um, my wife Gretchen and I, a little while back, we had, uh, we had some friends over and our boys were in their room and they were like hanging out and playing and Tegan was at a friend's house and we're having like, like a nice grown-up conversation, you know, which doesn't always happen very often in my house. And it was so good. And then Tegan gets home and uh, she's a teenager now. And when she gets home, she just sort of takes over the whole house. And uh, <laughs> in case she, I always approve stuff with my kids. I did not show her this picture ahead of time. Um, this is funny to me because she is like the sweetest person ever. And this is like, this is like, I feel like this is like a character she does. Like this is sassy Tegan and I love it. It's so funny. And so she comes home and she just walks right in. Like she owns the place, sits down at the kitchen table where we're all having a conversation and, um, and just like kind of eyeballs everyone. And we're just kind of looking at her like on pause because we're kind of waiting for her to go to her room so we can finish our conversation. She's like, all right, guys. What's going on? Okay. What are, what, 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 what are we talking about? I got opinions, right? And I kind of laugh and, and, and Gretchen kind of looks at her like, mm, time for to skedaddle or whatever. And she's like, what? I do. Like, for example, and she looks at her mom and she's like, that shirt is not helping you. Okay. <laughs> and I could tell she was joking. Um, Gretchen did not appreciate the joke at the time. And she was just like, this is not, this is not about you. No one even invited you to be a part of this right now. You, you go to your room, right? And so Tegan gets up and goes to her room. And then, and then Gretchen gets up and goes to her room and changes because no one, 
<laughs> no, no one can push your insecurity buttons like your kids. You know what I'm saying? Like just that they know where that little thing is. And even with a light joke, you're just like, how dare you? You know nothing. And you're like, she might have a point. I don't know. I'm feeling weird now, right? And I, I bring this up because I, I feel like we are all like this. I think all of us are sort of, you know, this is our natural human condition. We're all sort of walking around with our antennas up, our ears open, our eyes open, and it, almost as if to say inside of our minds, our hearts, like, what's going on? Like, what are, what, what are we all talking about, right? I got opinions, right? And, and they need to be expressed, and I want to share them, and I want to get them out there, Right? We have this need to sort of insert ourselves in situations, whether those situations have anything to do with us initially or not. And we have tons of opinions. All of us do, right? We have opinions about things. We definitely have opinions about people. We have opinions about each other, even when we're not trying to. And I think that's why this, this term, you know, only God can judge you or only God can judge me, is so particularly powerful, why we gravitate towards it. Because I think we have this sort of thought in our minds of like, man, I don't want other people to do to me what I'm a lot of times doing to them. Sort of secretly passing judgment, making decisions, making evaluations. And this, this phrase is echoed so many times at such a regular religious increment that a lot of us have started to think like, maybe this is something that Jesus said, or maybe it was something the Apostle Paul said, but it actually isn't. It's something Tupac said, you guys. <laughs> it's from a rap album, okay? And you can Google it. I wouldn't suggest it. I think these are the only clean lyrics in the whole song, okay? Okay. <laughs> I Googled, I was like, maybe I'll put the lyrics up. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I forgot, I forgot how many of these words were in this song. I should not, no, we can't put that on a church screen ever. And although technically, you know, Tupac is sort of credited with originating this idea was the title of a song and uh, it was all over posters in the 90s, but the reality of it is it does stem from something that, that, uh, that Jesus did say. And in fact, I would say this is probably the, has become the most famous uh, passage of scripture in our modern culture. I think it has replaced John 3.16 as the most quoted scripture in all of the Bible. This one is Matthew chapter seven, verse one says this, do not judge. And maybe some of you are looking at this and being like, it seems pretty straightforward to me. Uh, so, I mean, sermon over, Right. <laughs> And some of you are like, yeah, I don't know. What's the, what's the crossed out part, right? And I think a lot of us tend to do this, right? We, we, we sort of, we gravitate towards an idea. We like it. It's convenient. We want to believe it. And so we go looking for justification for something that we want to believe in. And it's easy to find something and sort of lift it out of the pages of scripture, out of context and and to sort of run with it in a way that feels good to us. And yet there's way more to this verse than just this little piece right here. Let me show you like a little bit more of this passage. And we'll come back to it a few different times. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Maybe even as you read more of that, you're like, I don't know if I still get it. Because you could look at this, this, these first two verses together and think like, I don't know, it kind of seems like maybe what Jesus is saying is like, 
you know, we should never judge anyone at any time for any, any reason. Is that really what's being said here? And in fact, I think that this is the interpretation that most of us gravitate towards in our culture when we hear this phrase, do not judge. What we take it to mean is, don't ever say or do anything to anyone that might make them feel uncomfortable for any reason. Like, isn't that what it feels like people are saying when they say, don't judge, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. And the reason we like this interpretation or maybe you're drawn to it is because it it is in alignment with a lot of the core values of our current culture. In fact, I would say if we had to do an overview, regardless of like political affiliation or any of that, just this sort of general philosophy of our society, we've really lifted up three specific values that we have built our entire culture on. I would say these are the values of individualism, relativism, and tolerance. And this is what we mean by these things, right? Individualism is this idea that like everyone should be able to do whatever they want, regardless of how it impacts anyone around them. Then there's the idea of relativism, which says that like what's right and wrong for someone is entirely dependent on their specific situation and their surroundings, right? There is no absolute truth. There's no, nothing that's really true all the time for everyone all the time. It's very situational. And then there's the idea of tolerance, right? Which is that everyone should not just accept, but approve of, applaud, and advocate for every choice everyone else makes, regardless of what that choice is. And here's what is, I think, confusing and complicated about these ideas, at least when I look at them. I look at these things and I think like, I don't know, I kind of, okay, part of that statement is true, but then there's another part of it that's not true or that I don't agree with or I don't align with. I, there's, there's a piece of that, that that like, yes, I get that, but I think it's being taken too far. And of course, when we have built our society on these values, it leads us to this idea of like, man, you should never judge anyone about anything for any reason. I mean, well, I shouldn't say any, anything because there is one thing that we are allowed to judge in our culture, and that is we're allowed to judge when someone else is being too judgy. And so that's nice, you know what I mean? Um, although technically, judging someone for judging then makes you judgmental which is sort of a weird catch-22. And so it's very confusing and layered, this thing. But I gotta tell you, all three of these values here are very Western, they're very modern, and they are, they're very American, which means that this is not the code that Jesus lived by. This is not the, the, the sort of the ethics or the value system that the early church lived by or that the New Testament authors wrote according to. In fact, as we look at the life of Jesus and as we look at the things that Jesus said and did, we can't help but come to the conclusion that it is actually impossible to align your life with the teachings of Jesus without making any moral judgments. We, at some point, have to actually say like that, no, and this, yes. Now, where we draw those lines gets complicated and how we draw those lines gets complicated. But also I do want to say this about this. Not all judgments are moral. And and yet I think a lot of times we act as if they are. We act as if that everything has like a moral imperative. Maybe this is just me. But like when I feel strongly about something and then someone is just like, well, that's just your opinion, right? 
And when somebody does that to you, do you have this thing inside of you that rises up and indignantly wants to insist like, oh, my opinion? No, that's not my opinion. That's God's opinion. So just so you know, you're messing with God. Maybe they respond like with something like, really? God's opinion is that it is disgusting to dip French fries in ranch. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like something... God, maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it just doesn't feel like something God is... Also, who is your God? Because that sounds like my idea of heaven, all right? How hard are these fries, right? Where's the ranch from, all right? Is it like store-bought Hidden Valley, or is it like, you know what I mean, the good stuff, you know what I mean? What were we talking about? I got excited there for a second. Um, what's happening after this? Here's the truth, right? Not all judgments are identical or even equal. In fact, there are many different types of judgments. And a lot of times when we say don't judge, we lump every imaginable type of judgment call into one category and they don't fit, right? Because there are preferences, which we have. We like one thing and not another thing. There are gut feelings that we can get. Some might call it intuition. There are convictions, which is where like, man, I feel like I need to draw a line here in my life because of something that I personally struggle with that you may not struggle with. And I need to do this in order to keep myself in line and keep myself healthy. And then there are identity summaries, right? Which is where you, you may take uh, one or two things about a person and sort of define that whole person by this like one encounter or something that they said or a meme that got shared or a story that someone told that you don't even know if it's true. And at this point, maybe you're looking at all this and wondering like, okay, so don't judge, or maybe, or we, we, are, we are judging now. We're judging, or like kind of, or sometimes, or like, what, what, what are we supposed to do? And these are good questions. And in fact, whenever we're trying to figure out like what God is saying to us about something in Scripture, it really helps to ask a couple questions. And, and the first question I would say is like, what is the context? So when Jesus says these things, what does he say right before and right after? Who is he talking to? Like, what do these words mean in that cultural context? And the second question I think is really important to ask is, like, you know, is there anywhere else that, that God talks about this same subject? And so maybe we can get a, a bigger picture view as opposed to just one quote in one place. Are there multiple quotes in other different places? And, and when we're talking about this particular idea of what it means to, to judge something or judge someone, um, Jesus does talk about it in other places in different ways. There's one time where Jesus gets confronted by uh, a handful of religious people and they, they call him out for something that he does they don't think he should be doing and they condemn him for it. And this is his response to them. This is like his sassy retort, if you will. John chapter seven, verse 24. As they judge him, he says in return, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. That's interesting, right? I mean, you would think that if Jesus' policy was do not judge anyone ever for any reason, under any condition, that he would have just said that. Like when he was receiving the judgment from them, that he would have just been like, hey, don't judge. You're being judgy, okay? Stop judging, or maybe his policy is like, I mean, you can judge, but you can't judge me. I'm God! And he zaps them and they die. You know what I mean? That's the Marvel movie version. But that's not what he says, right? He says, 
Look beneath the surface so that you can judge correctly. In, in other words, Jesus isn't upset that they're judging. He's upset that they're doing it wrong. That's interesting. Maybe unexpected for some of you. In other words, what this points to is that there is, there's, there's good judgment and there's bad judgment. There's a healthy, helpful, appropriate way to judge, and there is an unhealthy, unhelpful, inappropriate way to judge. And it's important to make this distinction. In fact, I would say that a good guiding principle surrounding this subject is this sort of simple rule. God's role is to judge who's good. Our role is to use good judgment. And those are different things. And in fact, this means that at times we are called to confront, but never to condemn. In fact, there are moments in which Jesus encourages us, insists that we judge certain things. But there are two things that he does not include on the list of our job to judge. One of them is someone else's identity, and the other is where someone else will spend eternity. These are the two judgments God reserves for himself. Only he gets to tell people who they are. And only he gets to tell them where they're going. And if we sit in that seat on his behalf, this is where we begin to cross lines we were never meant to cross. Now, maybe just thinking about this, like utilizing good judgment, you're just like, okay, well, what does that mean? So like, if, if I'm actually being implored to judge correctly, what does judging correctly look like? And like, what does it mean to confront someone well? What is a good, healthy Christian confrontation actually look like? Because some of us are just like, I've never seen anything but like a train wreck of a confrontation, right? I've seen bullying. I know what that looks like. I've definitely seen condemnation. I don't know that I've seen a healthy confrontation. So I want to give you an example of what this can and probably should look like from the book of Galatians. This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And he's, he writes about this really intense uh, confrontation between him and he's one of the like the premier evangelist missionaries of the day um, and then he he has this confrontation with Peter who's like the head of the church he's one of the the, the original disciples and he tells a story about this time where they, they sort of got into it and this is what happens he says in verse 11 when Peter came to Antioch I opposed him to his face I was like, Paul always uses such great adjectives. He's a little extra, but that's his personality. Let's just roll with it. I had to oppose, I had to, I didn't have a choice. I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Some of you are like, I didn't know we were gonna talk about circumcision. It, it, it'll make sense in a minute, okay? But afterwards, when some friends of Jane's came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas, not Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. I can see that some of you are lost. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't get it. Also, are the, the circumcisions are not happening at the dinner. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> some of you were, seem very upset, and it's, it's like a different procedure. It's a different location, different time slot altogether. But I want to I just like clue you in on the backstory so that you can like be let in on the drama here. 
what, is, what actually happened was the, the, the Jesus movement started as an exclusively Jewish movement, right? Um, but God repeatedly made it clear that what he was doing, what he was up to was for everyone everywhere. And although um, Christians are these new Christ followers, people who believed that Jesus was their way to God, um, they believed this philosophically, but practically it was really hard for them to sort of let go of expecting of or insisting upon uh, these, these new converts practicing all of their religious rules. And, and so, you know, they basically the, the, non, the non-Jewish Christians who were coming to faith, who were not being expected to do all the Jewish customs to believe in Jesus, uh, these people were being treated like second-rate Christians because they didn't like do all of the things. And that bothered some people, some religious leaders, some Christian leaders, and not others. And it came to this head. And it was something that was going to be a fight. And so they all got together. They, they get together for this big council. And they all gather. And it is, it's Peter and James and a bunch of the original disciples and leaders in the church. And Paul comes and he makes a visit. And they have a throwdown. They like have this big elaborate conversation. And they decide in that, that like, listen, they, the, the non-Jews, they don't have to do all the customs, all the rituals, all the stuff that Jews used to have to do because Jesus did not come to sort of reignite Judaism, right? He came to do something new and we want to include these other people and we should not require all of the past things of them. We should require only what Jesus asks of them. And all these people, to their credit, they all come into agreement on this thing and they're like, we are done treating non-Jews differently. And that would be awesome if the story just ended there. But it doesn't, and this is where the drama comes in. Okay, Peter, who's the leader of the church, after that, he's like, I'm gonna go on a trip. And he goes to visit Paul in this place called Antioch. And he visits the church there. And while he's visiting the church, which is made up of mostly non-Jewish Christians, they're, they're hanging out, they're having a good time, they're talking and laughing, they're eating together a lot. And everything's great. They're not being treated any different until... James, who's the brother of Jesus, also another church leader, some of his friends get sent up to Antioch and now they're all hanging out. And because Peter knows these guys are kind of traditionalists, he starts to get nervous about what they're gonna think of him. And so he starts treating the non-Jewish Christians differently than he did just five minutes before. And Paul is just like, "Mm, that doesn't sit well with me. Ironically, like Peter, because he's nervous, he's nervous about being judged by these more traditional believers he decides to do the thing that he just got finished in a council saying was wrong and anti-Jesus. And so Paul decides to call him out. He pulls him aside and he just says, listen, your reputation has become more important to you than doing what's right. And I have a problem with that. And you ought to have a problem with that because not only are you being a hypocrite, but you are influencing other people that look up to you to do the wrong thing too. And we know this thing is wrong because it's not just something I have an opinion about. It's something that we know Jesus stood for. It's something that you yourself said was wrong. And you're better than that. And here's why I think this example is super helpful. It shows us what it looks like to have a clean Christian confrontation. Essentially what it shows us is that exercising good judgment involves confronting the right person about the right things in the right way. 
So what does that mean? I want to unpack this for you over our final few minutes together. What is the right person that we sometimes are called to confront? I would say that looking at the teachings of Jesus and Paul, and the New Testament leaders, that the right person is a Christ follower that you have a close personal relationship with. And there is all sorts of corroborating evidence that this is the type of person that we are supposed to confront and no one else. Uh, specifically here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, this is Paul writing, he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And Peter definitely fits this description. Like they're both Jesus followers, they're church leaders, they're close friends. Why is this important? First off, it is, like just logically, it is absurd to expect someone who is not a Christian to act like a Christian. Like it doesn't make sense to expect someone who doesn't share your values to live according to your values. Like think about how insane, but this is what we want. We want everybody to live like we think they should live, even though they never signed up to live that way. And Paul is just like, that's not how people work. It doesn't make sense and you're not gonna get great results from it. If, if you wanna call people and be like, hey, you are not acting like something you never claimed to be or, and are not trying to be. Because the logical response would be like, yeah, because that's not what I'm trying to be. Oh, okay. So you should. I mean, that's, it's done. What about the other part? What about the, the close personal relationship part? This comes straight from Jesus. Right after he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, um, you know, don't judge or you too will be judged. He says, he says something else. In, in verse 3, he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Now, he goes on more about this, and we'll catch up to some of this later. But the thing I want to highlight is that he says, Brother, And part of the reason is when he's giving an outline for a confrontation, his assumption is that if you are confronting someone for it to actually be a helpful confrontation, you should be in such a close relationship with that person that you see them like a brother and they see you the same way. Do you know there's like, there's no guidelines that Jesus gives about how to pick a speck out of someone's eye that you do not have a close relationship with? It's not in there. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't confront issues in the broader culture, but it means we do so with a lot of gentleness and humility. It means that we don't expect certain things of people who are not, who have not elected to become part of the family. Because it doesn't make sense and it's not, going to work. It's also worth mentioning this other piece. Verse five, he goes on to say this, like, you know, if you're thinking about confronting your brother, he says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. In other words, in the mind of Jesus, who's speaking on behalf of God, because he's God in human form, in the mind of Jesus, a lot of times the right person you need to confront is you. And in fact, it always ought to start with you. And sometimes what will end up happening is after you finish confronting yourself, you will see the situation clearly and realize that the biggest issue that existed was the one in your own heart and mind, not with their actions and attitudes. 
That never gets an amen. Uh, every service, no one ever gets excited about that. So, again, uh, a, a exercising good judgment involves confronting the right person about the right things. And so what are the right things? The right things um, that we need to confront are anything that doesn't represent who Jesus is and what Jesus taught in the life of someone that is a Christian that we have a close relationship with. And um, we see Paul talking about this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, if another believer is overcome by sin, you should gently and humbly help them back onto the right path. And it's worth noting that, that Paul's issue with Peter is not an issue of personal preference. It's not an issue of gut feelings or convictions. It's that Peter is doing the opposite of what he publicly told everyone he believed in. He is not living like Jesus. He'd allowed something to become more important than that relationship. And I gotta tell you, um, in terms of examining yourself and maybe confronting yourself and what that plank could be in your own life, if the thing you can't wait to call someone out on is something like Jesus didn't really talk that much about, tread lightly because it might be more your issue than theirs or God's. And we have a habit, just as human beings in general, of assuming that if we have a strong opinion, that God shares that opinion. And over and over again, he's like, mm, that's on you. Tread lightly, and yet... If you look at this story, Peter needed to be confronted about this thing by this person at this moment. And maybe you've had those moments in your life too where you were off track and you couldn't see it or you were in denial of it and you needed a certain person to confront you about a specific thing in a specific moment. And honestly, if you're looking backwards in your story, maybe you could acknowledge to yourself that if they hadn't done that, you wouldn't be here. One of my favorite verses in scripture is this ancient proverb. Proverbs chapter 27, verse six says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, you need people around you with the courage, like Galatians says, to gently and humbly help you back onto the right path when you've wandered off. And guess what? When that happens, it doesn't feel good at first. We don't, we don't get an outline of what, like, what the after like, conversation looked like in this exchange. Like Paul doesn't write that part of it down. From everything we know in scripture about Peter's personality, I don't know that he took it well initially. I don't know that he called him out, that he was opposed to his face, and, and Peter was just like, oh man, thank you, brother. I needed that. Oh, blessings. Get on that right away. I mean, if you've read any stories about Peter, he was probably like, what? Okay, first off, <laughs> you got problems too, buddy. And let's talk about some stuff. I wasn't even hungry that day, okay? It wasn't even about them. That's not even, what. you know what? I didn't even, I'm not even visiting you. Just push back. And yet, he needed it. It woke him up. So something he needed to address I love the second part because essentially it's saying like if everyone around you is kissing up to you, is telling you what you want to hear as opposed to what you need to hear, those aren't your friends. 
if, if your immediate circle never has moments where they're just like, take this with a grain of sand, I could be wrong, but I gotta tell you, you say that you wanna be about this, but I'm watching your life, and you know I know you, we're close. I know you wanna be like Jesus, this does not reflect that, and I love you too much not to say something. Talk to me, what's going on? It's gonna hurt, but you can trust that. You need that. Proverbs 9, verses 8 and 9, it says, you know, don't bother correcting mockers. Like people who always have like a defensive, sarcastic comeback of why it's never their fault. Because they're only going to hate you. Like don't fill their name in your Bible if you have a specific person you think of. Just hold that in there. But correct the wise, and it's a different story. They'll love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. In other words, you know, one of the marks of a healthy, growing, mature person is that they are confrontable. Is that a good descriptor of you? Are you confrontable? Like if people had to list off like the traits that are admirable about you, would they say, one thing I really respect about them, when you bring something to them and are like, hey, I just, I need to tell you this. I need to address something with you. That they're just like, okay, I want to hear you out. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe that you may see some things about me I don't see about me. Or do you immediately get defensive, fight back, and shut them down? So, again, exercising good judgment involves confronting the right person about the right things in the right way. And so what is the right way? The right way is to go straight to them and to confront them clearly face-to-face with humility and gentleness, right? You, you, you notice that part where, where Paul is just like, I opposed him to his face. Now, it's funny the way he says it, but what he's cluing us into is what he's, he's saying is like, I did not go around behind their back and talk to everyone else but them. I did not try and onboard a bunch of people to my side and then bring a, like a mob to come in and push them around so I could get my way. No, no, no. I went to him and I confronted him face to face. This is Jesus 101. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus says this. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. He goes on to say that if the other person listens, which they might not always, you have won them back. And why does he draw our attention to that little second part there? Because the goal of good judgment is restoration, not condemnation. And this is why we have to check our heart when we do want to confront someone about something going on in their life. Because you have to ask yourself, do I really want to see them restored to relationship with me, other people, God himself, or do I just want to condemn them? I got to be honest, sometimes when I feel the urge to confront someone, it's that I want them to know that they're wrong and I'm right. That they messed up and we all know about it. I want them to feel bad. I want to feel smart and I want them to feel stupid. Maybe I'm the only one. A confrontation is not about me being right 
and them being wrong. It's about God growing us both. And we don't know the exact details of how the rest of that conversation played out because Paul, in respecting their dynamic, doesn't disclose all of the rest of the details. But we do have this little clue that I love. There's a letter that Peter writes years later called Second Peter. And he says this little line that gives you an insight into how their relationship evolved from that moment. He says this as he's talking. He says, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Did you hear that? He, right here, he calls the guy who opposed him to his face. He calls him his beloved brother who is wise. You know what that sounds like? Restoration. It sounds like two people that were like, man, we went at it. It was uncomfortable. It was frustrating. I think there were a few things that he, like, he saw that weren't quite accurate, but also, I gotta be honest. I wasn't being the person that I wanna be, that God made me to be. And I had to repent. I had to, to put things back on track. And I don't know that I would have done it, at least not as quickly without him. So what about you? Because we, we, we've all got issues that we need to address. Nobody is perfect. You got things that if somebody doesn't call you out on them, you will never address them. So here's my question to you. Do you have enough close relationships with fellow Christ followers who know your life inside and out? who know you so well that they know the kind of person that you wanna be and they see the kind of person that you are and they're close enough to see a discrepancy and they have enough trust with you to say something? Or have you pushed everyone out, everyone away? Have you isolated so that no one ever challenges you to grow? Because that's not healthy. And even on top of that, are you confrontable? Those people that are close to you, when they come to you and say, this is something I think you need to think about, to reflect on, seriously, do you actually take that in? Do you meditate on it? Do you examine your own heart? Or do you instantly assume they're wrong and push back? What about the people you feel like you need to confront? Are they the right person? Is it about the right thing? Are you prepared to do it the right way? Like, are you comfortable with them judging you the way that you are about to judge them? And if so, what if instead of making assumptions, what if instead of going in with guns blazing, just ready to show them what's what, what if you allowed gentleness and humility to lead the way? What if instead of jumping to conclusions, you decided that you were gonna to commit to asking more questions, to hearing them out and hearing their heart and caring about their point of view? I think it has the power to change everything because it did for Peter and Paul. And it didn't just impact them, it affected every relationship that was connected to them. And that means me and you, because we are a result of their restored relationship. 
Christianity does not exist today in the way that we know and understand it if these two guys don't take seriously the need to know and love and confront and restore one another. And I'm telling you, there are people down the line from you that need you to take seriously the relationships God has put in your life because their life and their relationships depend on you modeling the healthy relational way of Jesus. And that's why we talk about this stuff. I gotta tell you, before you so easily or quickly say, hey, you know, only God can judge me. I think it's a way bigger, more complicated issue. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for your grace and your truth in our lives. God, we are nothing without you. And um, God, I'm grateful that you approach us in a way that is humble and gentle, even though you don't have to, but it is your very nature. And God, I pray that uh, you would help us to have healthy relationships and postures towards one another, that we would be people who are confrontable, that we would be people who live in community alongside one another, and we are people who aren't afraid to speak up and press each other to live and love like Jesus. God, make it so in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.